Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. One of the first things Kat did when we moved into our new apartment is throw away all the mirrors. I made a mistake. It's like you thought that the apartment was infested with vampires or something. and uh, But yeah, you threw out all the bathroom mirrors. And so this morning I had to shave in front of the microwave oven door. Well, it is remarkably reflective. Surprisingly so. Yeah. Although, like all of our appliances, everything's in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I haven't really figured out how to use the microwave yet. (laughs) I caused an empanada explosion earlier this week. That was really frightening. I like how you keep saying everything's in Spanish. Like it's surprising. (laughs) The other day you said, it's like this is a whole different country. I said that for comedic effect. Of course I know it's a whole different country. But I will admit, I didn't take into consideration that all of the appliances would be in Spanish. Of course they're going to be in Spanish. Of course they are. Um, I'm just really grateful that the washer and dryer, I'm familiar with those models, so I'm able to operate those just through muscle memory. Plus the setting that you use says normal. That helps too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Adjustments. Adjustments is what we make. Still no chairs though. Mm -mm. Still sitting on the floor. I am sitting, though, this time, rather than laying down. Your back's better. It's Well, it's not better, but it is better. It's improved. Yeah. Well, I don't know if my story's going to make you feel better, Mm. because it touches on Mothman a little bit. And I know, know not directly Mothman, but one of Mothman's accomplices. (laughs) What does that mean? In the world of strange occurrences that span across the United States, few are as haunting as that of Indrid Cold. Indrid? Indrid? Indrid. Cold. Cold. Also known as the Grinning Tall Man. Often overshadowed by the more infamous Mothman of West Virginia, Cold's presence, marked by eerie encounters, brings forward a series of questions that challenge the boundaries 
of our understanding. Who is this grinning figure who communicates without words? What draws him to the quiet corners of West Virginia, specifically the areas where Mothman has been seen? Interesting. Is it like a tall man kind of deal? It's a, Yeah, he's very tall and he has this very unnatural, unsettling grin on his face all of the time. Why do those who meet him often find their lives irrevocably altered? Let's take a look at Indrid Cole and the story surrounding whomever or whatever he is. I'm good. Thanks. Join us next time on the Box of Oddities. <laughs> so how is he connected to Mothman? Well, timing, for one thing. Many of the sightings of Indrid Cold and Mothman happened around the same period, mainly between 1967 and, I'm sorry, 1966 and 1967. And this overlap in time has led to much speculation about whether the two entities are related in some way or if their appearances were indicative of some larger unseen phenomenon occurring in that region. Okay, and you said like 66, 67, 68, that kind of? Yeah, 66 okay. through 67, primarily. Okay. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that historically a time where we know like a lot of drugs were happening? <laughs> yeah. Like taking... Yeah, LSD pardon. was making a big, uh, a big dent in the uh, younger generation's lives at that point. But, um, I, you know... I, Do you think it's unrelated? I think it's unrelated oh, okay. in okay. this case. Then there was the Silver Bridge Collapse, part of the Mothman legend. One of the most tragic events connected to that legend. The collapse of the Silver Bridge took place in 1967 and resulted in 46 people dying. Some locals believe that the Mothman sightings were a harbinger of the upcoming tragedy. While Indrid Cold wasn't directly associated with the collapse, he was seen before and during the time frame that made him part of a broader narrative surrounding this event. Do you think that uh, IC is uh, actually doing the, the naughties and Mothman is just the scapegoat? Well, that's an interesting theory, one I hadn't pondered. In John Keel's Mothman Prophecies, he's a journalist and a ufologist. Uh, he documented the Mothman sightings as well as the associated strange occurrences at Point Pleasant in his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies. In the book, he also mentions Indrid Cole a number of times, as well as other what he referred to as men in black types who seemed to be observing or perhaps interfering with witnesses of various paranormal events. Hmm. This book and its subsequent film adaptation, which came out in 2002, really further tied the stories of Indrid Cole and Mothman together. Both Indrid Cold and Mothman are characterized by the mysterious nature of their intentions. While the Mothman was often seen as an omen of disaster, Indrid Cold's motives remain really unknown, leading to much speculation about why both entities might have been present during the same events and the same period. I keep thinking of the observers from Fringe. Obviously. That, that sort of thing. Indrid Cold, what do we know about him? He's commonly described as 
an unusually tall man exceeding six feet in height. His most distinguishing feature is a wide, unsettling grin that seems to stretch unnaturally across his face. He's been compared to the Joker. Mm. Some testimonies emphasize the piercing nature of his gaze, which can induce a feeling of being deeply scrutinized. Eyewitness accounts also mention a reflective, shiny green suit that he wears. Like a Batman villain? <laughs> well, he, he seemed out of place and out of time, which added to the otherworldly aura. His, his suit was often described as resembling a vintage aviator jumpsuit from like the 30s. Is the idea that he's like a time traveler or interdimensional or something? I wonder that myself. Did uh, he travel back in time and get his clothing slightly wrong? Just off by a few decades? Gonna go back in time. Indrid Cole does not communicate through conventional means. Instead, those who have encountered him report that he communicates telepathically. Which is probably why everyone thinks his name is Indrid and not Ingrid. His words or intentions are directly imparted into the minds of those he interacts with, eliminating the need for verbal communication. He's often described as being both imposing and calm. While his appearance can be jarring, especially because of that crazy, ever-present grin, yeah. he doesn't typically exude an immediate threat. He's curious. He asks probing questions that seem to be centered on understanding human behavior, emotions, and societal constructs. In some testimonies, he's associated with a strange, futuristic vehicle described as charcoal-colored, windowless, and it did not resemble any type of car or automobile of that particular era, again, in the mid-60s. During these encounters, many describe a surreal or dreamlike quality to their encounters with Indrid Cold. Time might seem to distort, or one's immediate surroundings might feel out of place. There's a sense of, of things just not feeling right, or a sense of unreality when he's around. So what you're saying is this person feels out of place. It feels like you might be dreaming. Mm -hmm. Time is weird. Time is weird. You feel like you might be sleeping a little bit. So first your theory was drugs and now it's just sleeping. <laughs> Here are a few encounters on record. Woodrow Derenberger. What a great name. In the quiet dusk of November 1966, his journey home was abruptly interrupted by a, this peculiar vehicle that I described a few minutes ago, an even more unusual occupant. His subsequent conversations with this being, named Indrid Cold, went way beyond this initial meeting with Cold, allegedly speaking of distant galaxies and sharing details of a planet that seemed alien to our known universe. Then a few months after that encounter, in March of 1967, a woman named Lily from Point Pleasant experienced paralyzing midnight visitation. She woke up and saw a tall, grinning figure standing outside of her bedroom window, just gazing at her. And Point Pleasant is peak Mothman yeah. region, right? Yes. Okay. He seemed to cast an inexplicable spell that left her immobile. This mysterious visitor used telepathy to communicate with her, cryptically stating, quote, Fear not. We observe 
Then we return. This feels very vampire-y, like showing up outside a window mm. telepathically, you know, being like, sleep, yeah. sleep, right? Yeah, let me in. Then there's Tom. He was an impassioned, passionate <laughs> hiker. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say like there was another, like a Mothman, but his name was Tom. <laughs> Tom the Mothman. There's Indrid, there's Mothman, and then there's Tom. I think it'd be marvelous if the Mothman's name was Tom. <laughs> Mothman's real name is Tom. And everyone just calls me Mothman all the time. It's such a bummer. Anyway... This guy, whose name was actually Tom and was a passionate hiker, was at a solitary campout on the Appalachian Trail. This was actually a bit later, in 1973. He described an overwhelming emotional and telepathic connection with this being, discussing abstract human concepts like love. This left Tom pondering the true nature of his enigmatic visitor. Now, again, he's camping by himself, and I know what you're going to say, mushrooms, but there is no indication that that may have been it. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 1975, a waitress named Sarah was working at a local diner in Clarksburg, and she reported meeting a tall man with an unnaturally wide grin. As she served him coffee, she felt an overwhelming urge to ask him about the meaning of life. To which, without speaking aloud, he replied in her mind, quote, Life is a journey of understanding, and you're all part of a bigger pattern. She later described the encounter as being both unnerving and enlightening. Mark, who was a gas station owner in Charleston in the late 70s, talked about an event where a tall man in a reflective green suit popped in one evening. No words were exchanged, but Mark felt an immediate sense of peace. Once the mysterious man left, Mark noticed that the time seemed to have frozen for those few moments, a phenomenon that he could not explain. And missing time is a huge thing when it comes to alien encounters, right? Yes, and so also again, interdimensional. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're mixing a lot of ideas here. An integral part of investigating this Ingrid, Ingrid Cold enigma is recognizing certain patterns. Multiple individuals, unrelated and often unaware of each other's experiences, have recounted similar details. The consistency in the descriptions of these appearance, appearances and Ingrid Cole's behavior, and even the emotional effects that he leaves in his wake, can't be easily dismissed. In drawing parallels between Indrid cold encounters and other paranormal phenomena around the same period, one can't help but wonder if it's connecting. There's a connected thread there somewhere. Could Indrid Cold's appearances coincide with other significant events? We know that he was reported seen before and at the Silver Bridge collapse. And about the same time that Mothman did, he's also been seen in the area of UFO sightings. If these are true events, then they could provide clues to his origin or purpose. I'm really leaning toward the whole observer thing, maybe from a different dimension, just because I really want to watch Fringe again. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Um, also, I cannot help but continually change his name to Ingrid Cole. And <laughs> I picture her as being like a 19th century farm woman. Like, she's hardworking and... Like Auntie M in The Wizard of Oz out on the porch wiping her hands on her apron calling yeah, for Dorothy. but like gentler. Auntie M always freaked me out a little bit. I don't trust her. Why don't you trust Auntie M? 
what good did she do through the whole thing? Like, she, she there was, was a whole ordeal and she's just hanging out. She was so matronly, though. To be fair, I don't remember much of that movie because I did not care for it. I am aware I am going to get shit for that. Sorry. <laughs> so while the encounters are numerous, understanding the true nature of Indrid Cold is challenging. Who is he? Or what is he? Here are some theories. Indrid Cold's detailed tales of distant galaxies and the ability to communicate telepathically are traits that may associate him with extraterrestrial beings. Which we, the government has told us now, are real. Are real. Yeah. Okay. If Cold is indeed an otherworldly visitor, his interests seem to revolve around understanding humanity at its core. It's a peaceful mission. Another theory, a time traveler between realities. His ethereal fleeting appearances and his uncanny ability to vanish hint at a being that might be traversing between dimensions or parallel universes. And with as little as we understand and know about both of those things, they could be the same. They could very well be the same thing. Another theory is that he is a product of secret experiments. Given the secrecy surrounding many government projects, some speculate Indrid Cold could be the result of an experiment gone awry. His abilities could be the result of groundbreaking scientific advancements not yet revealed to the public. That feels a little too Marvel movie for me. Yeah, I don't care for that one either. And then, of course, it could be an echo of collective fears. Consider the time period. The 60s was a time of socio-political upheaval. Mm. With the space race and mounting anxieties about the unknown, the Cold War, and his name was Cold. Interesting. Um, Cold might be a psychic embodiment of those collective fears and curiosities, a specter given life by our deepest uncertainties, which in and of itself is a pretty fascinating phenomenon. Absolutely. And that mass hysteria we know is a thing. And so that makes a lot of sense. But I'm going with the time traveler between uh, realities. And if he showed up at like the disaster of the Silver Bridge collapse mm -hmm. and Mothman showed up for the same thing, were they both there representing different uh, realities, different timelines, different motives? Ooh, interesting. The mystery surrounding Indrid Cold may never be fully unraveled. Theories and speculations abound, of course. But concrete evidence remains elusive. But the fact that so much is unknown is what really fuels our fascination, the possibility that our world is graced with beings mm. or phenomena beyond our comprehension. It challenges our perception of reality. And let's, let's be honest, no matter what you think about this or other visions or perceptions, we are only aware of a very small segment of the spectrum of reality and what is really going on. And as we move deeper into the 21st century, we're armed with more advanced technology and of course a relentless spirit of inquiry. Perhaps, just perhaps, we'll start to inch closer to understanding things like Indrid Cold, a very tall man with a very big smile. You know what I don't care for? I don't care for the idea that he and Mothman are showing up at the same spaces and people are like, oh, Mothman is a bad sign or mm. the cause of these bad things. And Ingrid here is just like checking it out. I don't agree. And, and I think Mothman would be pleased that I am 
rooting for him here. Are and you I, are you kissing Mothman's ass? I just I feel like maybe he's just misunderstood. Okay, okay. So Mothman, don't bother Cat. She's on your side. I got my information from Mysteries Unsolved and The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. In 2014, 22-year-old Rory Curtis was in a serious car accident. He was put in a medically induced coma for six days. When he woke up from his coma, he was speaking fluent French. The weird thing is, he didn't know how to speak French. However, his distant ancestors 
did come from France. But perhaps the strangest thing was yet to come. His ability to speak French slowly dissipated. But then, Rory became convinced he was, in fact, the actor Matthew McConaughey. Say so you need a ride? Uh, no, I got my own car. Thanks. Fortunately, Rory has completely recovered from his injuries. John from St. Louis writes, Hey, Kat and JG, first contact, but I've been a listener since, like, episode nine. Wow. I've had a rough time with your move to Ecuador. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we've had a rough time, too. It's been a little difficult for us, too, but uh, things are turning around. He says, I'm coming to terms with it, though. I have a three-hour daily round-trip commute, and I've started your catalog all over again. And I just listened to episode 16. You had just returned from Ecuador for the first time, and you were so excited. It shows me how long you two have really been thinking about this. Suffice it to say, it has resolved my issues with your move. Oh, that's so fucking sweet. Has anyone else shortened your new home to Cuencador? <laughs> or is it just that my brain works that way? No, no, your your brain works like that, but so I do like ours. It. I've said Cuencador. Not intentionally, but I've said it nonetheless. Chantel sent us a message. Fuck cat. This cat toxigo shit? Maybe I'm a crazy cat lady because of my cat's piss and shit. I'm not a fan of this. Now I'm so paranoid. <laughs> I think I'm just the normal kind of mental. I don't think I have parasites in my brain, but I am going to make Mike change the boxes from now on. <laughs> With a rescue and eight cats, if anybody's going to get brain bugs, it's going to be me or him, and I vote him. See, that's what a strong relationship is built on. Yo. <laughs> well done. Laura said, thanks for reading about the cat-like beast. I just want you to know that all day I've been singing Rock the Cat Box a la The Clash. <laughs> I blame you. You know, it is true, Sharif don't like it. That's the word on the street anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kylie sent us a message. I have something to tell you. On your most recent episode, you opened by talking about Ecuador's propane delivery system. <laughs> I've mentioned to you all in the past that I've moved to Belgium with little to no knowledge of their culture or language. Where I live, they have a strange van that drives past your house, like the ice cream truck, or, you know, the propane truck. Here, they blast a message through a bullhorn, but it's only in French, and I don't speak much French. However, they begin the message with, attention, attention, and of course I know what that means. Mm. The first couple of times this van came through my neighborhood, I thought it was some kind of warning system. I had no idea what they were warning me about, but I closed my shutters and locked all my doors just to be safe. <laughs> I'm from Louisiana, so I assumed it was either a hurricane or Mardi Gras parade. <laughs> either way, I was on high alert. <laughs> Turns out it's a little closer to the latter. They send out these vans anytime a circus comes to town, <laughs> and their message details the time, date, location, etc. of said circus. I've moved here less than a year ago, and we've had three different circuses come to town since then. How are there so many circuses in rotation at any given time? That's amazing. I thought the circus was a dead art form. <laughs> Anywho, I didn't learn enough French to figure out what they were telling me until the third go-around. I've just been preparing for the apocalypse every couple of months <laughs> until the scary van people leave me alone. On a side note, as someone learning new things and exploring a part of the world I never could have known existed until now, I love hearing about your adventures in Ecuador. Oh, thank you. 
I wouldn't complain if you begin every episode with something you've learned about your new home. As always, bon voyage, Kylie. I don't know what that means. Kylie, I love that, and I'm going to do my best to share things with you. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Airwave Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Want to start it out by thanking Katie for suggesting this topic. It's the early 20th century, and the Great War is underway. Austria-Hungary, Serbia, Russia, Germany, France, Britain, expanding to Greece, Italy. You can imagine, like it seems like the entire world is at war. It's almost like you should refer to the war uh, by how much of the world is involved in it. Call it a world war, if you would. So you... A radio enthusiast began picking up a station of only numbers transmitted in Morse code. You don't know what it means, or why it's being broadcast, or by whom. It's a number station. And most number stations were most used and picked up on in the 1950s. More and more, radio enthusiasts are picking up on these mysterious broadcasts consisting of codes, numbers, and other encrypted messages. So these are like ham radio enthusiasts, correct? It's, yeah, it's shortwave radio. Shortwave, okay. These broadcasts were usually transmitted in various languages and often originated from unidentified sources. The purpose and intended audience of these stations were shrouded in secrecy as so much was at that time. Yeah, this was the beginning of the Cold War. Yeah, 
Number stations first gained attention during the Cold War era, particularly from the 1950s to the 1990s. These eerie broadcasts would often commence with an unusual melody or series of beeps captivating the listener's attention. And then, sometimes, a woman or a child's voice would come forth, reciting seemingly arbitrary numbers. It's kind of like Lost, the TV show Lost. Number stations started off good and then ended terribly? It started off good and then ended the exact way we expected it to. That's bizarre. And the even creepier ones start with like a little melody, and it's almost like, you know that idea of if you hear kids singing in the woods, you get the fuck out? Right. It's kind of, it reminds me of that. (laughs) Kids singing in the woods. Never trust kids singing in the woods. The cryptic messages added to the mystique surrounding these broadcasts, and with nobody understanding where they were coming from or why, many were puzzled about their purpose and origins. Each number station that was discovered was given a name depending on the nature of its broadcast. Among the most well-known were the Nancy Adams Susan, the Gong Station, and the Lincolnshire Poacher. The earliest confirmed number station, known as the Lincolnshire Poacher, was believed to have started broadcasting in the late 1970s, which is interesting because we know that number stations existed in the 50s at least. But for some reason, the earliest confirmed number station wasn't until the 70s. It used as its call sign the first bars of an English folk song of the same name, synthesized to sound like a calliope organ, and repeated 12 times. It was then followed by a British-accented female voice reading a string of numbers. This phenomenon spawned a fringe group of radio enthusiasts who documented and tried to solve the as many mysteries as there were broadcasts. And it was in the 1980s these dedicated enthusiasts began pulling forth a compelling theory. They postulated that these cryptic broadcasts were in fact coded messages employed in covert espionage operations worldwide. This hypothesis gained support from notable figures such as Rupert Allison, an esteemed author renowned for his expertise in espionage. He writes under the pseudonym Nigel West. Now, you see, that would have been That was my first guess. Oh, it's some sort of uh, espionage code. Right. Number stations became primarily associated with intelligence agencies and spy networks operating in various countries. And the notion that number stations served as clandestine communication methods added a new layer of intrigue to their mysterious nature. Some speculate that these stations served as a method for transferring operational instructions or other sensitive information. And decoding these messages is impossible without access to a one-time pad used to encrypt them. A one-time pad system uses a random key to encode messages, and this technique ensures utmost security if executed correctly. 
Now, of course, with something like number stations, there are ethical implications. Critics argue that the use of number stations for covert operations raise concerns about privacy, surveillance, potential misuse of power, and of course, legal ramifications because broadcasting without a license is illegal in many countries, leading to questions about the legality of number stations and their operations. Though, I feel like if espionage is involved, they're not super worried about FCC violations. Truth. Nonetheless, despite concerted efforts, several of these number stations have remained impervious to decryption. An example is the buzzer, UVB-76, which has been transmitting perplexing broadcasts since the time of the Cold War. Still doing it. Still doing it. Its distinct pattern includes two buzzes at the beginning of each hour, accompanied by a monotonous drone recurring between the 21st and 34th minute during daylight hours only. Then a voice emerges reciting a sequence of numbers, words, or names in Russian, such as Anna, Nikolai, Ivan, Tatiana. Although the buzzer may broadcast traffic at any time, the vast majority of messages are sent during daytime hours on weekdays. The local time for the buzzer is Moscow time. Now, the enduring mystery surrounding these transmissions adds to their allure and continues to intrigue enthusiasts. It's interesting that as the technology grows away from shortwave radio, more and more people become involved in trying to figure out these number stations. And because of their secretive nature, concrete information about them is limited, and much of what's available is based on speculation and anecdotal evidence. Wouldn't it be weird if somebody finally decoded the message and it was just the instructions on how to put together an IKEA bookcase? That's kind of like when I used the very early internet to figure out what the words to Die Eier von Satan were. <laughs> a song by Tool. It ended up being a brownie recipe. Anyway, the systems are very secure because the messages can't be tracked usually, and recipients can be anywhere. This is according to Aiken Fernandez, the creator of the Conet Project. The Conet Project investigates this particular phenomenon. They also work really hard to archive the phenomenon, and there are CDs that you can buy of these stations' broadcasts. According to Fernandez, it's easy. You just send spies to a country and then get them to buy a radio. They know where to tune in and when. Which is why this has been such a successful setup for so many years. Even though technology has evolved, this very basic thing still works really well. That's really fascinating, and I, and I have heard of number stations, and I did uh, at one point hear some of the uh, those cryptic messages, and yeah, it does. It seems to me the most logical explanation is it's uh, espionage. It's a way to get information to anybody anywhere in the world. Shortwave radio, it's pretty powerful. The thing is, it doesn't have to be espionage. It could just be like our own government hiding things from us. Well, that still would be espionage, wouldn't it? Would it? I don't know. I don't know. I got my information from the BBC, All That's Interesting, War on the Rocks, and Numberstations.com. Want to welcome our most recent members to the Order of Freaks on Patreon. Carly, Chantel, Catherine, Kimberly, and Jane. 
Thanks much. We have a bonus episode coming right up as well as a Zoom from our new apartment, which is loud sometimes. And if you would like to join the Order of Freaks, you can do so by going to theboxofoddities.com. Also, we want to remind you that as we are into Halloween quarter, it is very important that you take on your duty of providing us with horror. With what? Horror. Oh, Okay. Horror. I thought we were starting a new holiday tradition. (laughs) (laughs) Halloween hoes. You can be one of our Halloween hoes by sharing a spooky or interesting story with us for our annual Halloween episode. Record it on your smartphone and email the story to curator at theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on twitter at box of oddities and instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2023 all rights reserved Taku here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.